Okay, <coughs> so we mentioned last week in brief the concept of not um, practicing non-Jewish practices and we mentioned briefly how it pertains or the various opinions as to whether or not it pertains to Thanksgiving and eating turkey on Thanksgiving. So today I wanted to talk a bit more generically about the, the, the mitzvah and some of the other ramifications and also about how it might apply or not apply to Hanukkah presents. Um, the mitzvah of is actually repeated a number of times in the Torah. Um, in those words it says in Parshas Achrim, um, it says, do not do like the deeds of the Egyptians. Don't do like the deeds of the Canaanites. Do not go in there, do not follow in their statues. Additionally, in Pasha's Ketoshim, again, do not go in the ways, do not follow in the Chukais, in the statutes of the Goy, the nations, nation which I am sending away from before you. Um, and not in the so those two psukim both contain these exact words which coin the phrase chukas hagoy the customs of the goyim and other psukim number many psukim and numerous mamari chazal which um, talk about the abdul eschem and amin being different than the nations being separated from the nations um, we find already that the Jews in Egypt were. They were nigal, it says, in the schus shalishinu shmoisam, shmam neshoinu malavushom, that they didn't change their names, their language, and their garb, that they kept the uniquely or distinctly Jewish um, appearance and language and, 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 and their names. And that was the, the that was a schus for them to be redeemed from Egypt. Incidentally, <coughs> Moshe Feinstein, he wrote a tshuva where he says that the um, the, the the idea that a, a Jew has to have a Jewish name is only was only important then, before Matan Torah, because um, because then the Jews didn't have mitzvahs to distinguish them. So if they had they, if you would call them Paul and Peter and whatever the local names were, so then that would they wouldn't they wouldn't be different. But now that we have now that with the Jewish nation we have mitzvahs, so that's not so important. Other persons disagreed, and the Rebbe also spoke on a number of occasions about the importance of having Dafka Jewish name. And the Rebbe, for sure, one occasion even mentioned about using the Jewish pronunciation of the name. And the example the Rebbe gave was Avraham and not Abraham. Anyway, so. I think it's important to point out, because <coughs> I deal with Goyim yeah. all the time. And I think it's important to point out that even though between us we know that we're better than them or whatever, we have different roles, but the concept of equality is really important right. in the world today. And therefore, even when we don't do their chukas and we don't intermarry and we have all the laws of pasisrol and, and, and bishosrol so that we don't intermarry with them, it needs to be done in a very sensitive way where... Right. I'm not better than you, just I have a role of being a lamp lighter or morals or whatever it is, rather than I'm better Perhaps than a better word, than, a more, more, more accurate word than better than you is, again, you don't have to go and tell them this necessarily, but it's holier than you. 
the Jewish people, just like a Kayan is holier than a Levi, and a Levi is holier than a Yisrael, a Jew is holier than a Goy, and because they're holier, they have we have different roles, or we have right. It's not it's not their business. They we, I, I don't need to point it out to them. The main thing is that we should remember this. And these mitzvahs, and we're going to see a lot of things. These mitzvahs of of being being distinct from the other nations is something which, in the twenty first century in the Western world, is like you said, it's a sensitive topic yeah. because we want to make sure we're not sort of Equal. we don't have the right. stereotypical all the stereotypical problems that right which is true we do want to get on well with our neighbors and we do want to live peacefully and harmonious with them etc etc but at the same time um, and perhaps stuff could be because of that you know um, imagine let's just say for argument's sake um, that uh, wearing a short jacket is cook very we'll discuss it yeah, but for argument's sake, let's say a Jewish garb is a long jacket, and to wear a short jacket would be chukasagoy, right? So imagine if a Jew's living in the shtetl, he doesn't wear a jacket, he does wear a jacket, you know, he's living in the ghetto, that's what it is. But Dafka in a time today where we are in the Malchut Medina Shal Chesed, and we are so integrated with the secular and non-Jewish world out there, it's even more important to make sure that we retain the distinguishing identities and practices which the Torah says are important. Now, in like every mitzvah, Chazal sort of enumerate examples of what, it, what, it, what it's all about, what are the examples. So, um, there's a number of examples given in the Gemara and the Rambam, not wearing the clothes of Goyim, not having your hairstyle done like the Goyim, um, not doing architecture, architecture, well, sorry, I should rephrase that. Not wearing the clothes and the hairstyle of the idolaters. It's a very important difference, we'll get there soon. And not um, doing architecture like the goyim, like the idolaters, and similar things to that. It's actually, again, not really the main theme of today's year, but a very interesting topic, which I, I should mention. There is a halacha that even though you're not allowed to have the idolatrous-style haircut, if somebody is kar of the malchus, if somebody is involved in the government, and in order for him to be successful in his uh, um, political position, he needs to have a haircut the same as everyone else, then he is allowed to do so. And the case of Mishnah, who's the, it's the same author as the Mechaber, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, he asked, what do you mean? If there's a mitzvah in the Torah, thou shalt not go in the ways of the Gentiles, which includes haircuts. So how could you say, just because he wants to be in politics, so therefore he, I mean, how does it, exempt. well, even if he has to be in politics, I mean, unless there's a life-threatening situation, you cannot violate, in, in general, there's a mitzvah, and this is a concept which we mentioned before, it might even come up later today if we have time, that for the fulfillment of a positive mitzvah, there's a limit on the resources you're obligated to invest in it. You're not obligated to invest more than a fifth of your assets to fulfill a positive mitzvah. But not to transgress a negative commandment, you have to give everything in the world, besides your life. Only certain mitzvahs you have to give your life for. But all the money in the world, you would have to give not to desecrate Shabbos. So here there's a negative commandment not to go in the ways of the goyim. So how could it be that somebody who has a political position in the government, that he, he's allowed to have that hairstyle? Does this say specifically Goyim or Oydeh? In this context, I'm going to get, yeah, there's a big difference. I'm going to get this one. Um, so, the Pasuk 
The pasuk actually doesn't say anything about Avigazara. The pasuk talks about the nations which I were, the nations who lived in Canaan. Anyway, so the Kasev Mishnah explains um, a fascinating thing, which is a concept that we find in other places also that sometimes, sometimes there's a mitzvah that are bonan. The Chazal will kaveya, the rabbis will kaveya a certain um, a certain mitzvah, whatever it is. But sometimes there's a mitzvah deraisa, a biblical mitzvah, which has all the um, all the other criteria of a mitzvah de raisa. So, for example, the classical difference is by mitzvah de rabbonon, by mitzvah, thank you, by mitzvah de rabbonon, if in doubt you don't have to do it. Right? If you don't, if you don't remember, if you, I don't know, uh, uh, made, made a bracha, if you're eating and you don't remember if you made a bracha, you continue eating because making a bracha before you eat is only a mitzvah de rabbonon. But um, if you don't remember, if you benched, benching is de raisa, so then you have to bench again. So, so, but the details of the mitzvah are given over to the Chazal to establish what they are. So the, the most famous example of this is working on Cholomoyed. According to many opinions, the, forbid, the prohibition to work on Cholomoyed is biblical. It's, it's, not, it's a biblical prohibition to work. But exactly which types of work are forbidden and which are permitted, that was Musar and Hakos of Lachachamim. And therefore, the, the CRC here doesn't allow Mishkichim to go to plants. Yeah, so the, so how to deal with Cholamoy, that's a, maybe a subject for another so, share, but Cholamoy is for sure not the same as Yom Tif, yeah? You're allowed to dry, you're allowed to do things, but you're only allowed to do things with Tzorei Cholamoy. There's many, Hilkas Cholamoy is one of the most difficult, <coughs> um, uh, one, uh, it's a very difficult uh, thing to get a clarity in. So that's an example of something that's deraisa, which was given over to the Chabim, according to many opinions. And there's other examples also. So the Kassim Mishnah suggests that the same is true with Chukas That even though the mitzvah of Chukas is clearly deraisa, it's repeated at least three or four times in the Torah, but the exact details of how and when and what it applies to, that is given over to the Chachamim, and they said that we're not going to impose it upon somebody who is in the government who needs to have that position. Now, this, to me, this is a very important idea, even though not in the strict legal sense, but the idea behind this, I, I, to me, I, I, need, I need that idea to understand, because I'll go ahead and I'll explain to you why. Um, again, there's many examples, and there's many, um, there's many cases discussed, but... There is a very famous truva of the Maharik, Rabbi Yosef Koylan, who was one of the very prominent Ashkenazi of Paschim hundreds of years ago, who's quoted and accepted as, basically, he's usually, I mean, there are, again, there are more stringent opinions, but basically the Maharik is considered, he gives an, he, his opinion is accepted usually, and he basically says that in order for something to be a violation of Chukas it needs to meet one of three criteria. The first thing is, what, the first thing is, if it, if it is a minhag of idolatry. Now, it doesn't mean that it's a minhag that contains when it. No, let me rephrase that. A minhag of idolaters. So, it, uh, if something's a minhag of idolatry, like, you know, idol worship or anything like that, yeah, that, that, that's not part of Kasagoy, that's Avidazar, yeah. But something which is the practice of idolaters is forbidden. So, for example. Um, forbidden. Forbidden. Sorry. 
So, for example, like one of the examples I mentioned before was the haircuts or the architecture, right? Now, the architecture in a church is not idolatrous, but it's the style architecture that is be- become the custom of those idolaters. And therefore, it's forbidden for Jewish people to copy that architecture. And there's many chumas written about building shuls, um, copying designs, or architecture from churches because again there's nothing um, I don't know whatever a certain style window yeah there's nothing idolatrous about that window but it's the minig of idolaters that's the first thing. That's a very uh, that's a very important question. It's been done. It's not ideal, but it does happen. And sometimes uh, that's the type of situation where you need a rov who's going to take that chayas and say, look, this is a situation where this is what our, the only option available to our community, and we're going to have to rely on those opinions who are lenient. There's a rov in where my parents live in Edgeware, who's they, they needed a bigger premises, and they basically bought a church, and they needed, in order to be able to demolish it and rebuild it, they needed X amount of money. In order to just refurbish it, they needed a lesser amount of money. And they were only able to, at the time, get the lesser amount of money, and that's what they did. They, 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 I mean, so they still, you could, I mean, they've sort of done their best, but you can, if you don't, you, you can sort of tell that it used to be a church if you look well. Um, but it's a show. Before there, waited like a year or two, just let it sit for some reason. That was part of the transformation. Oh, yeah. That, but they demolished it, did they not? They also demolished it. Until they did that, it just sat there for like a couple of years. Interesting. Anyway, so that's the first criteria. The second criteria, he says, is if something doesn't make sense. If the, if the non-Jewish people have a custom that doesn't make sense, then it is pro, under the prohibition of Chukas And the reason for this is very simple. The reason is because if you don't know the reason, if you can't ascertain what the reason is, then it's very likely that there is some idolatrous or pagan reason behind it, which is why they're doing something that doesn't make sense. Therefore, if something doesn't make sense, it is Chukas Now, last week I mentioned that Ramosha has a number of chuvas about the turkeys and Thanksgiving. And they're not all. I mean, he write, he acknowledges himself that he is um, conflicted about it, and he's not. And that's why he, he writes explicitly one of his chuvas that sometimes I write more this way, sometimes more that way because I'm not sure about this. But in one of his chuvas, he gets in, himself into a whole, um, you know, line thing about whether or not the practice of eating turkeys on on Thanksgiving makes sense. And he gets, well, anyway, if, who says they ate tur- turkeys, and had they not eaten turkeys, they would have found something else. And anyway, you know, he gets into this whole thing about how logical the custom of eating turkey on Thanksgiving is, which many have been made on Ramosha that the Chayra is completely besides the point, because even if to you it doesn't make sense, to the people who established this custom, it did make sense, and therefore they're doing something which, quote, makes sense, and therefore you don't need to be choishish, you don't need to concern yourself that perhaps there's some pagan reason behind it, right? The fact that whatever the history of Thanksgiving was dictated to, let's say, Abraham Lincoln, that we should institute a tradition of Thanksgiving, right, of eating turkey. Now, you're saying, well, that reason wouldn't compel me as a Jew, or it wouldn't compel somebody working within the framework of halacha to institute a custom of eating turkey. Fair enough, but that doesn't mean that it's something that's nonsensical, to, that, that you therefore have to co- be concerned that perhaps there's something else more sinister hiding behind it. That's the second criteria that he says. And the third criteria that he says is, 
um, that if if it's a non-Jewish practice that goes against a Jewish value, sneers, another um, humility, or hachna to the Ebeshter, subservience, any anything that goes against the Jewish ethos is shachatz v'gaiva, you know, is is included in the Chukas So again, the three things are, if it's the custom of idolaters, if it doesn't make sense, or if it goes against the Jewish value. Now, so those are the three criteria we work with, and every shayla that we discuss of whether or not it's Chukas we have to address it, we have to see, does it fit, if it fits one of those three criteria, it's Chukas if not, then it's okay. Now, before I continue to get into examples, I personally, and I'm not the only one, have a big problem with a uh, big problem is the wrong word. I, 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 it doesn't it, it doesn't all add up to me. In other words, there are many things which would seem to me that they should be chukasagoi based on the criteria, but yet we find that many very pious Jews um, do them, and vice versa. There are many things which to me sound there are some things which to me sound that they shouldn't be chukasagoi, and yet they are, and uh, yet they're not. Um, yeah. They are, they're not. They think that they should be, and yet they're not. Now, <coughs> so again, we can just, uh, uh, I'll, I'll sort of tell you what this far, past can talk about, and um, as much as possible try to fit with these criteria, but it, but it doesn't always work so neatly. And I think that, you know, I said, this is what I said to you before, the Kassar Mishnah says that it's something that has, that it's a biblical mitzvah, but it was given over to Chazal, as to determine what it is. Now, when we say that something was given to Chazal, we don't mean that it was given to the rabbis of the 21st and not even the 17th century. We're talking about the Chazal who are the foundation of Toyosh Balpeh, the, the Tanoim, the Amiroim, the Goinim. But I think that if I could very loosely, and I emphasize very loosely because I'm hesitant about this, but I think if we could very loosely um, borrow the same thing. And look, something which all of Klal Yisrael uh, or many of Kali Yisrael do, for some reason, even if you might argue that it does um, fit under one of the three criteria, you know, we're going to leave it. So, I'll start off with what, with one example, which is not really uh, one of the big examples of Chukas Agoy, but I just, I, I'm not going in order, I'm just discussing various examples. One a Jewish value, one of the Jewish values is Sneas, that's actually one of the examples that the Maharit gives. Now, Sneas doesn't just mean um, it's not just for women, it's for men also. There's halachas about how you have to, um, when you get dressed and undressed, to be either in a covered position or at least to be in the bathroom. Even when you're in the bathroom, not to do to, to do it in a modest way, in a respectful way, to Hashem's presence that is everywhere, etc., etc. Now, there are there is a a concept that even if a person is completely covered, more covering is more tzniyas, and therefore the custom was in many I don't know if all or the the many or the majority I don't know exact history of Jewish communities that men wore long jackets, um, and even though of course they were wearing pants and they were covered, but wearing a long jacket and being more covered was a more was considered more res- more tzniyas, more respectful to Hashem, etc., etc. Time or even before now, okay? Because maybe the long coats was just the winter, the style. No, it definitely was not just the winter. The Rambam, even the Rambam says he doesn't say for everyone, but even the Rambam says that it's a custom of chachamim to wear long clothes because it's extra tzniyas. And definitely in Europe, 
Um, I, I mean, before they had, again, I'm talking about once we had modern clothing of suits and, you know, one, before that when they were wearing cloaks and robes, I mean, it was different. It, it's hard to, to go that far back and start comparing clothes. But I'm talking in, in, in Eastern Europe, yeah? Now, so then, so the Chayra, one could argue that, um, that wearing a short suit or wearing a tie or anything that's not part of the tradition let's just talk about a short suit which you could clearly say and there are sources to suggest that a, a short suit is less sneers right so you could say that wearing a short suit is because it goes against one of the Jewish ethos however I'm not going to say that for the simple reason that um, thousands if not millions of, of uh, millions would be yeah, hundreds of thousands of very pious orthodox Jews um, uh, including, yourself. including, yeah, <laughs> in, including actually, if I may say, including the including the rabbi, the rabbi. Uh, before, the rabbi in, in, yeah, um, wear a short suit. So wore a short suit. So now, so well, what would I say? There are definitely communities till today who only wear long suits, and in the Chassidish Welt, and I think <coughs> many of them would say. Not that it's strictly speaking but there's many things that, that there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law. And it's definitely, the, if somebody wants, in, in other words, if somebody says to me that within the spirit of the concept of the spirit of being distinguished and separate from non Jewish pa- pa- uh, practices, I think it's more appropriate to wear a long suit, I agree 100%. If somebody wants to not to impose it or to declare it a violation, but if somebody says that it's extra pious and it's more in the spirit of Chukas Agoi, we, we will. Um, uh, that's something that I could accept 100%. And the same goes true for many other things, which we start getting into the nitty gritty of whether or not it's Chukas Agoi. It's questionable, but it's definitely a. Um, a, a, a um, praiseworthy or virtuous practice so for example um, many many communities only speak Yiddish or in the Sephardic community there were many communities and this has stopped really but there were many communities until last, until about 50 years ago who only spoke Ladino um, well Yiddish is still in, in, in many communities it's still um, there are many people who that is their only language or their primary language or having Jewish names or other things like that which to, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I, many of them, one would be hard pressed to say that they are strictly speaking a violation of Chukas but definitely are within the spirit of the mitzvah. We find, I mean, just in reference, for example, to speaking Yiddish, it's something that there were even from the Rabbeim references from the Rabbi, the Friedrich Rabbi, and even previously references to that. Yes, a Jew should speak Yiddish. Now, in the Marukat day, especially in the Chabad community. It's become very difficult to, to, to keep that up because we're a community with many Bali Chuva, people who didn't grow up speaking Yiddish. And I think because of that, or at least in part because of that, it becomes difficult to, uh, to, to, to maintain. There's many people, I mean, there's many people in the Chabad community today who don't speak Yiddish fluently themselves. So you can't, you know, so, so once it, it becomes difficult to, you know, I, I actually do want to speak Yiddish to my kids, but it becomes difficult because if the prevailing language is English, then so then it, it's it's like. But the I, I was okay with translating. No, of course the Rebbe wasn't just okay with it. The Rebbe encouraged it a lot, but the Rebbe also encouraged our people in their private homes to encourage. Um, um, uh, yeah. Okay. Now let's move on. Yeah, 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 yeah. <coughs>
say? Yeah, I don't have a problem. Might as well just only speak Yiddish at home. Yeah, make sure that you know. Yeah, that that would be nice. It's difficult. It's difficult. What? Why is it difficult? Why is it difficult? Um, Because I mean, their education is Yiddish. Their parents speak Yiddish. They're in a community where many of the members speak Yiddish. Maybe after the recording goes off, we could discuss more details. <laughs> um, okay. Now, um, I only mentioned because I think it would be good then. Like, I wish I'd grown up in a household where another language was spoken. Right. Yes. They, they're the famous. You say that uh, somebody speaks two languages, he's bilingual. If somebody speaks three languages, he's trilingual. Four speak one language, he's yeah, American. Right. So there you go. So I'm lucky that I do speak uh, English, Yiddish, and Hebrew fluently, and uh, I wish my mother had spoken to us in French too. You know. Anyway, so um, okay. Now moving on. Even within the long coast, red linings, blue capotes. My son being the only one on earth, probably. That's <laughs> <laughs> all, yeah, that's all. You also have embroidered and non embroidered. Blue on the outside, who knows what's on the inside. Okay, now, I'm going to move on to an, another another few examples. Now, one of the examples that is given already in Chazal is about going to Itstadionim and Teatronim, which means stadiums and theaters. And it says that to go to a stadium and a theater is called Now, Now, um, so it has been discussed, and I'm sure if you Google this, you can find many. I, d- I didn't even try, but I'm sure that if you Google this, you'll find much um, mention of it. That is it permissible for a Jew to go and watch uh, baseball or soccer or whatever sport yet? Yeah, an opera, any any type of any of these type of things. Is it permissible for a Jewish person to go? Now. There are a number of problems with all of these activities. Number one is that for the most part, usually they're bittle Torah. A Jew has to um, study Torah, and just to go and waste your time and go and sit in such a place is usually, usually bittle Torah. However, um, we're not discussing the laws of bittle Torah right now in, in, at length, but there is some sort of a understanding, consideration that people need uh, and people need a break in order to be healthy. People need uh, recreational activities, etc. Sometimes it's a mitzvah. Sometimes you're doing a mitzvah to go with somebody to the game, and it's uh, you know you're accompanying somebody who for them it's uh, you know if, let's say if a person wants to go with his wife, so for his wife it's important to go, and it's obviously stroll, shalom bias, whatever it is. Another question that has been raised is Moshev Leitzim. It is forbidden. It's actually the first pasuk or the second pasuk in Tehillim. Somebody who doesn't sit in a uh, setting of scoffers of Leitzim. Right? Now, even if, right, there's no question that, yeah, I'm saying, let's say, let's talk about people, sort of, present company included, right? If any of us would go to a sports game, why are you going? There's something, I mean, uh, I, sports doesn't really talk to me, so I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm projecting, yeah? If, yeah. If, there's, something, there's something exciting about it. There, there is a skill, there is, there is a lot of talent, and I think most sports 
involve a, a lot of talent. So there's something entertaining. It's whatever, but it's not a wild. Um, sort of low lifestyle experience for us but I think again and it would depend perhaps the, the exact the exact um, the exact percent percentage is difficult for me to say because again I don't really know but depending on the country and on the season and the style sport etc I think it would be to, true to say that for the majority if not the vast majority of people there you know it's just part of their it's just part of their life of, of not of, 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 of no of no real meaning and purpose in life I mean you read the stories you know I mean I, know, I grew up in England so over there it's soccer and football with the World Cup and uh, you know people get drunk in the street and it's, it's part of a very low life culture so where where do you draw the line? But many Ramosha himself, Ramosha, who says that it's not Chukas Agoy to go to the sports game, he says that it is a violation of a Moshe of Leitzim and Yoshev. So it's forbidden to go to a sports game because because that's not that's not the company you want to associate yourself with. That's really what. But Moshe Leitzim and Yoshev means if there's a type of society which is inappropriate for a Jewish person to associate themselves with, then. You have to not even not just not associate yourself with, but you shouldn't even like really go there, right? So that's what emotion says. Right? What? <laughs> now, there was actually one time when it just came to me right now. They wanted to make the Siam Harambam in um, a big in a stadium or something in New York, and the Rebbe said the Rebbe said absolutely not. That you don't make a Jew, you know, that, that those places are not right now. Personally, okay, so let's discuss the other hand, we do have time there, we have kosher food available there. So, on one hand, yeah, no, there's a service. So, so one second, if, go if you're going to argue, no, so, the, so, so, so there's the thing if you're going to argue that it's strictly speaking forbidden to go there. So then you can't make a kosher food stand there because you can't, you know, just like you can't make a kosher food stand in, where, you know, in a place that's forbidden for a Jew to be, you don't make a kosher food stand. But if we, if you would argue that it's not strictly speaking for a Jewish, forbidden for a Jewish person to go there, but under usual circumstances it's inappropriate, so then, okay, it's inappropriate for me to go to attend, but there are Jews there, so I could go and cater for them. But that would not, but that could still fit with what the rabbi says, that you don't make a Seema Rambam in such a place. This is a place which symbolizes, um, symbolizes a, a, a sport, the whole not just sport, it symbolizes the whole lifestyle of, of vanity, so it's not a place to go and make a, a, a Siyam Rambam, which is a Dovish Abiktusha. Now, so is going to a sports game or, any, or theater, what did you say, opera, any of these things, isn't a violation of Chukas Now, here's an example of something which if you had, would ask me, and I wouldn't have any obje- if I would be completely objective without any bias, I would say it's absolutely a 100% violation of Chukas because, first of all, it's one of the examples given in Chazal of going to the theaters. Now, I don't know exactly what the theaters were in those days and what the theaters are today. But you know, so then they were doing the horse, the, the, the you know, the, the cows with the red thing, and they were getting all the wild, more wild sports. But, I mean, American... Bullfighting. Bullfighting. American football is probably, you know... It, it, it sounds, you know, it's, it, it sounds to me very much like... like in other words, 
you know, even if the theaters and things have changed somewhat, it's still a theater, it's still a stadium, it's still the same concept. That's A. B, we said before that one of the criteria of Chukas is that it goes against, something that goes against Jewish values and Jewish ethos. I definitely think that, you know, if we're saying that it's a violation of, of, of Moshev Leitzim no Yoshev, that it's a place of vanity, it's a place of, uh, you know, so then automatically it goes against Jewish values, so then automatically it should be a problem of Chukas to go to a sports game. Now, having said that, Lemaisa, um, in America, more so than in other countries, but in America specifically, there are many Orthodox Jews who do go to sports games. So, I'm not comfortable to therefore come and say that it is forbidden to go to a sports game, because clearly, I mean, even Moshe says that it's not He says it's a prohibition of Bittl Torah. He says it's a prohibition of 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 but it's not But I don't understand what he, I don't understand why he says that because you're going to sports. So he says words which I'm I'm not able to really translate, and it doesn't doesn't really add up to me. Um, so again, okay. maybe the question of the Vaidazara comes up. No, so but that's what I'm saying. Even if it's not a if it goes against the says that even if it's not a Vaidazara, if it goes against the Jewish value of Tznias and anything like that, Shachat, Skaiva, yeah, something which the lifestyle around being around sports being the highlight of your life, yeah, that that's definitely against Jew. I mean, the fact that Ramosha himself says that it's Bittal Torah and Ramosha leads Yashov should automatically the Chayro say that it's Chukasagoy. And again, like I said before, it's one of the examples in Chazal of going to theaters and stadiums. So, Lamaisa, many Jews do it, and I don't understand why, but again, I'm it's something which is it's difficult to have a clarity in. I definitely do think that for the most part, it's not something that's appropriate. It's not it's not an activity that should be encouraged, in my personal opinion. I mean, I was brought up. It was completely you know, in my school and yeshiva. It was completely, uh, you know, I, I'm sh- I, I mean, I, I don't even know if it ever occurred to any of my friends to go to watch a soccer game. But I'm sure that if any of them did, they would have been kicked out of school. It was compl- considered completely inappropriate for a Jewish person to go to a soccer game. In America, it's less so than in England. Many people do go to baseball games, and perhaps other do 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 do. I mean, do guys go to? Fo- do, is it normal for Orthodox Jews to go to football game, American football games, and rugby? I and yeah, I think in general Jews are not that interested in sports, but there are a lot of exceptions that there are many Orthodox Jews who have a fascination with sports and are heavy attenders. Especially in New York, the Yankees game. They no, baseball. I know. Ba- they didn't get the person I mean, to even here, we sing saw a song or, or whatever. We God saw here with the sing the national anthem or something. We had no. That was last year here when the Cubs won the World Series. The whole the whole <laughs> the West Rogers Park was 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 celebrating it. Yeah? Right, that's the example. Now, uh, the, I'm not even talking about being a sports fan, which is so, there is it's not so it's not so loosely. Yeah, they they are connected. I'm talking specifically about attending a game. One could even argue that attending a game is forbidden, but to watch it is not forbidden. It's not you know, because you're not going to the play. One could argue. I would say the, the opposite. Because watching a game on TV, the commercials are not sneezing. Good. So that's so that. You don't see that on the live game. You okay. may see people on sneezing sitting there, but okay. So I don't. It's not in your face. With the live games, we so have women scantily clad engaged in activities too. specifically to enliven the crowd. Right. That's true. So, so, so there you go. So, 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 if I, so we said before that if something goes against the ethos of Tznias, it's Chukas I mean, 
I mean, you, you guys have more experience than me. You're telling me that both from attending a game and from watching the game on TV, yeah. it's not sneers. So attending game, they're the girls, the pom poms, right in the beginning, right? Well, they're not right in the beginning, but like in basketball, they're there all the time. Yeah. Like about it, cheer, the cheering thing. squad. I'm he- I'm hesitant to sort of paskin, so to speak, quote that it's chukasagoy, but it, it definitely smells very strongly of it, and it, 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 it's it's difficult for me to to understand. Put it this way, I've always struggled, and now that I'm studying Chukasagoy, I'm struggling even more to understand why it is that many Orthodox Jews in America um, are uh, f- following sports and going to sports games, and etc., etc. But again, it's not something which... When something that so many Orthodox Jews practice, you know, observant Jews, and pious Jews even, do... One has to be very careful to say that this is something which is, you know, that they're all transgressors, right? We're not, we don't like doing that. Okay. Um, moving on, um, we'll talk about. Um, hmm. Okay, we'll talk about two more things, um, and then we'll finish. The next thing I want to talk, and that, we'll talk about yarmulkes and talk about Hanukkah presents and end of year, end of year, you know, gifts at this time of the year. So. Wearing a yarmulke, a kippah, a head covering, or anything like that, started out as a minhag. It was a custom. Why should you wear a yarmulke? And the custom is already mentioned in the Gemara that it's a sign of hachno. How do you translate hachno? Um, subservience, perhaps, to Hashem, recognizing that Hashem is always above us. There's actually an interesting vart from the Rebbe, I think, that the reason why a person wears clothes general is because there is a natural um, embarrassment from the parts of the body that are susceptible to being dragged down into taiva. So specifically those areas of the body are the most important to people to always have covered. So the Rebbe sort of why is it that we have to cover our heads? The chayra, our heads, is the, is, is, is the intellect. But actually, and the perhaps unfortunate reality is that our intellect is often very susceptible to being completely biased by the things that we want, <laughs> by our taivas, and they can completely warp our, our, our intellect. Right? The, we always give the example of the Germans who were the, you know, the, the highest of the sophisticated society of the, of the modern world. And therefore, we always have to cover our head because our head is also susceptible to being um, sort of perverted by um, brainwashed. Yeah. Anyway, so the minhag to cover uh, to cover your hair started as a minhag to um, because of hachna, you're recognizing Hashem's presence, etc. Humility, humble. Again, I'm, I'm emphasizing all these things because I want to bring out the point that these are Jewish values, which. We could then discuss if not wearing yarmulke is going against the Jewish value. But it started out as a custom. Now, then... Pope also wears a yarmulke. Is it Jewish values? Um, well, we, we call it Judeo-Christian values. Then we have a problem. Maybe we're following Chukas and Goy. But they're following. No, there's, no, they're following. That, I mean, there's many of our customers. When we talk about Hanukkah presents, I think it's clear that they got it first. But when we talk about yarmulke, I think it's pretty clear that we got it first. All right. Um, so, 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 so that's the thing. Now, then the Alter Rebbe says. We got it first. If the goyim accepts the minhag, and now the Pope wears a yarmulke, maybe we should reconsider. It. No. We should probably not wear that. Even the Muslims are wearing, but Muslims should not wear what? 
What? Muslims also wear yarmulkes, yeah, but Muslims is not a very desire. You can't walk into a mosque, you can't walk into a church. Okay. Anyway, interesting thought. Um, anyway, we should just not wear red ones. Um, okay, anyway, yeah, I guess. Okay, then there's a lot, so that's, that's how it started. Then in the in the Paschum, it says, and this is the way the Alter Rebbe brings it, that in the places where it is there, f- hold on. I don't remember one detail, but he says that he says that because it's become the minhag to cover your hair, so now there's an, now the so even though it started as a minhag, but now there's a halachic prohibition to uncover your hair, your head, because um, it's not sneers. The the halacha of sneers is one of the halachas is that any parts of your body that are usually covered must always be covered. So therefore, it is not sneers to walk around. In uh, garments that don't cover the parts of your body that are regularly covered. Now, what makes what which parts of your body are, are, are usually covered? So that's determined by the current local practice. So, for example, I'll tell you an example of socks. That in a, in a place where everyone always wears socks, wears socks. So then you're not allowed to walk around with sandals without socks. But if in a place where people walk around without socks, so then it's okay to walk around without socks. So the same is true with the head covering that. Because it's the minhag to cover your hair, so now it's not just the minhag; it's a halacha that, be, that that you have to cover your hair because it's a thing. There's one part of, I'm 90% sure, but I should check it up. But I think that Al Tareb says that that in countries where it's very hot and people, even let's say non-Jews, don't always cover their hair, so then there wouldn't be a problem of sneers because it's not considered cover part of the body. Then the pasuk saying Al Tareb also brings this says something very important. Now that it's a Jewish custom to cover your now that it's a Jewish custom to cover your hair, but it's a non-Jewish custom, a Christian custom to uncover your hair, and they talk about it says that how the, the Christians specifically don't cover their hair, so now it's a violation of Chukas to not wear a yarmulke, and that's it says in the Al Shulchan Aruch. I mean, it's a, nowadays it is a violation of a biblical commandment to not wear a yarmulke. The biblical commandment of I don't mean a yarmulke, a cap, any head covering. Um, it's Chokas Now, um, what? Why is it? So, so what's not? So, so I was struggling with this. This is the example I was struggling with, and one of the reasons I was struggling is with it is because Ramosha has a truva where he says that nowadays it's not Chokas to not wear a yarmulke because he says people he he says nowadays it's not sort of not Jewish to not wear a yarmulke. It's just it's just random. It's just it's 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 uh it's it's indifferent. It's just what well, it's. It I agree with him because it sounds like. Hold on, hold on, hold on one second. Right? And therefore, Moshe says he holds that nowadays is not and he therefore rules Lamaisa that if somebody um, has a job that in order to keep the job he has to not wear yamuka, so then he allows him to not wear yamuka at work. However, the Alter Rebbe says that it is Chukasagoy. And I was struggling to understand why, but I think the reason is like this. It, not co- goyim don't cover their hair, right? But they do what they don't care. Well, well, well they, they cover their hair if, if it's cold out, but if it's, uh, they, they don't cover their hair just to cover... They don't cover their hair for religious reasons. Right. They don't cover their hair for, 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 for the most part. They don't even cover their hair for any reason unless it's cold. They don't cover the hair because it's a, an appropriate way to dress. Maybe 50 years ago they did, yeah? Nowadays, nobody covers their... Besides Jewish people, 
Nobody in the street is walking around with a head covering unless it's to protect them from the cold. Right? What about caps? Or to protect them from the sun, maybe, or from the sweat. Yeah, okay. They're also hipsters. I mean, there's a whole... Yeah. That's true, that's true, yeah, that's true. Okay. But generally speaking, Goyim don't cover their hair. And I think the I think the primary point over here is that not covering your hair goes against the Jewish value, the Jewish value of Hachnot, like all the reasons why the Minak started to wear Yamaka. So I believe that the way the Alter Rebbe sees it is that Goyim don't wear a yarmulke. Now, not everything that Goyim do is chukas Goyim also wear a shirt. It doesn't become chukas to wear a shirt, right? But not wearing, not covering your hair is something which goes against the Jewish value. So when it's something that's a minag of, that, that's the way Goyim behave, that goes against the Jewish value, therefore it's chukas to to not wear a head covering. And I believe... That Ramosha's hat doesn't work according to Ramosha Taka held that, but I don't, again, I mean, it's something which is difficult. You see how everything becomes exactly so. I mean, we've got to start now analyzing uh, which goyim cover the hair, which goyim don't cover the hair, when do they cover the hair, where do they cover the hair, why, you know, the hipsters, the, you know, it gets very co- uh, technical, but I definitely think that something that it says in Shulchan Aruch and Alter, and we're not talking about somebody who lived, you know, a thousand, whatever, you know, in a pagan culture. The Alter lived in, 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 in Russia 250 years ago. Yeah, it's not. The customs weren't so different then than they are today, the, I, I believe. The, yeah, the Alter says that it's Chukas to not wear a head covering, so the Chayra is Chukas I, I don't see them both being <laughs> against each other. I see them both making sense. I think both. Ramosha and Alter I think Ramosha is merely saying that we're not going to just be contrarian just for the sake of being contrarian. Oh, Goy does this, we have to buy yellow cars, so we have to buy red cars, because that's ridiculous. Right. So I don't think he's arguing. The Alter Rebbe is saying a very important fact, that, that if it's against a moral that we have in Yiddishkeit, then it's chukas Right. Otherwise, it's just silliness, and you don't have to, that's true. to buy a red car because they have a yellow car. 100%. And emotion, by the way, we didn't even get around to discussing this, but Ramosha says the same thing about a long... Uh, maybe I didn't me- mention this part of Ramosha. Ramosha says the same thing about a long jacket. Ramosha says that, uh, you know, just like you wouldn't say a blue jacket or a black jacket, so a short jacket or a long jacket, he, he's a thing, right? No, one could argue with that. But but specifically when it comes to Yamukas, Ramosha says that it's not Chukas and the Alter says that it is. So I don't think there's necessarily a machloikas in the broader picture, but about this specific item, if somebody would come to me and say that he could only have a job where he has to walk around with no head covering, I would say that a Jewish person cannot take such a job. Right? He doesn't have to wear a he can wear a cap, he can wear something else. But a Jewish person can't take a job which requires him to have his head uncovered. The truth is, times have changed, at least in Chicago in the last 20 years. 25 years ago, 20 years ago when I was here, I was looking for a job in the, in the nursing home at the street by these wealthy nursing home religious Jews. They all go in to work without Yama, because I know they that. used to. I think now it's more acceptable well, for the young, wealthy from boy to wear Yama. Well, what, what it's I have, more accepted. What I have heard... Um, from a friend of mine who's a Lubavitcher. I who was told specifically not to wear a yarmulke if I took this job 20 years ago, and that's why I didn't take the job. Uh-huh. But now I don't think they would tell you that. Now. So now they wouldn't tell you that, but the truth is that today, 
I think the most of the from people in that industry, even the young people, do not cover their hair at work. And I know somebody who's in that industry who does always wear his tits out and he wears a yarmulke. And um, and he's he sometimes causes he goes to places where there's other from people and they're standing there without a yarmulke thing, and then they look at him with his yarmulke and sits there. So they're like, so he's like sort of proving to them that. This is baloney. Of course, you can come here with the Yamaka and your By the way, wearing it, some have argued that, because the Chazal talk about dressing like Goyim, and therefore some have argued that the Jewish dress has to have something. In other words, you don't have to have every item. You know, you can wear, you don't have to wear your shirt, a different shirt or a different tie or different. But you have to, when, when you look at you, there should be something about you that's obviously Jewish. And therefore, some have argued. Some have argued that that's a strong argument, a reason why one should wear one's tzitzis out. Some people tuck the tzitzis into their pants, yeah? But some have argued that they should have to wear them out for this reason. Um, or if you wear a long jacket, that's also distinctly Jewish nowadays. Anyway, we have a f- five minutes left, and I wanted to talk for a few minutes about Hanukkah presents. Now, Hanukkah presents is something which has bothered me for a long time. It would seem clear to me that the custom that many Jews have my parents included, and myself, yet to be decided exactly, my kids are still young, yeah, but give Hanukkah presents to their children, and it seems clear to me that this is a custom which evolved one way or another from a Christian custom or non-Jewish custom at this time of the year to give presents for their holiday. Now, so, and there are many people, I should say, there are many people who do not give Hanukkah presents for this very reason. They do give Hanukkah gelt. Now, there is a, a giving Hanukkah gelt money to, to give money to one's children on Hanukkah is a very old-time Jewish minhag. And unfortunately, we ran out of time. But I did actually have somebody compiled a very nice list of all the different various reasons, and there's, there's very various reasons for that. So, what? So, so, not be coins. Not, not necessarily coins. Money. Any? Yeah. Um, but um, does that include chocolate coins? But, so, so what are we going to do with the Hanukkah presents? Um, so, I have a number of thoughts. And here's, by the way, going back to where, before I say my thoughts, going back to where we started off from. When I was a child getting Hanukkah presents, I don't even know if I knew that other people, that the Goyim give, Hanukkah, give presents at this time of the year. Yeah, it was not... It was just, yeah, Hanukkah is Hanukkah presents, right? It's only as I became older and started on the. Did you see ads in newspapers? I was a kid in the Lubavitch community. What did I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. So Iceland, you had no idea what was going on. Well, even if I knew, it didn't think of me, it didn't occur to me as a young child to. What? It didn't occur to me that this comes from whatever it, it was, it, 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 right? But what my point is that you know you started off by saying that nowadays we live in a world where we have to we, we're integrated in society, but I think that Dafka because of that you know young children don't have a problem with Hanukkah presents, but as adults who are integrated into the society where it's glaringly obvious to us that this is something that comes from that. So what are we going to do about it? So. I saw somebody saying, I saw somebody who addresses this question says that, um, no, Hanukkah presents didn't come from the Goyim. Hanukkah presents came as an evolving of Hanukkah gelt. Now, I don't think that's true, but I think there is some truth to it. In other words, 
the reason I mean, the the Jew, the Janta, the Goyim, the Christians have many practices around their holidays, which we didn't copy, right? We didn't uh, we didn't copy eating eggs on Pesach because they eat eggs on Easter, right? Why did we? Why did Hanukkah presents become a thing? So it's a combination of factors. What well, we're anyway giving presents, we're giving money presents, so they're giving other presents, and there were sales in the stores, and uh, you know, so it sort of evolved evolved that way. So. Bottom line, I think, is w- w- this is the key differentiation between Hanukkah presents and Xmas presents. We are not giving presents for Kratzmach, for Xmas. For a Jew to give somebody a present for Xmas, that would be a violation of Chukas absolutely. Right? And therefore, I'll, if I have literally a minute in the end, I know you're rushing, to talk about giving to employees or co-workers or j- your janitors or whatever it is. Right? We're giving presents for Hanukkah. Now, Giving presents is not a non-Jewish concept. It's not a, something that goes against Jewish values. Giving presents for a holiday, for Jewish, for any holiday, a Jewish holiday, is also not a non-Jewish value. In fact, it's a Jewish value. The Rambam talks about the, the Yom Tevim, which are Yemei Simcha, that you give uh, Nash. He, he talks about giving uh, roasted nuts and whatever to, to, to your children, right? So giving gifts to one's family is a, me- the, uh, is a method of generating Simcha, Etc. That is again something which is not not Jewish. So, even if it's true, and I believe it, probably, I believe it is true, that the minhag of giving Hanukkah presents is in some way or another a derivative of Xmas presents. It doesn't matter because we're not giving presents for December twenty fifth. We're giving presents for Hanukkah, which in and of itself is not a something that goes against any Jewish values, and therefore. It doesn't. It, 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 the fact that it originated from something which was which was a practice of goyim, we're not doing the same thing. It's something which evolved from that. It's something which evolved from that, and it's something which is. It's not a non-Jewish value in Adar but It's a Jewish value. Giving gifts on the Yom Tif, giving yeah on, on the Yom Tovim not so It's a mitzvah to buy gifts for your family, uh, etc. So therefore, uh, th- that's why it's not a problem. Now again, some people would say still. They want to, want to stay far away from it because it's you know it's perhaps in the spirit of Lukas Agai. I could hear that. I mean that that's fine. Um, also, if you if uh, Hanukkah was in April, it wouldn't be a problem. It just happens to be it's around that, December twenty fifth. Well, that's how the midhag evolved, I think. But the, the 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 I'll say even more than that. Somebody somebody wrote uh, somebody said something that he only gives Hanukkah presents to his children something which is of a Jewish educational value. He doesn't just give them a game of Monopoly for you know give them Monopoly another time, but for Hanukkah presents because there's this whole thing. So he specifically makes a point of giving them only presents with uh, either Hanukkah gelt or you know Jewish books or Jewish games or you know anything to do with some sort of educational value. Now just literally for a minute or two to discuss giving gifts to um, co-workers or any other type of non-Jewish people who um, you want to give gifts to because you feel that's a uh, thing. So in general, giving gifts to a guy, there's a Shiloh of Leisuchani, that's another Shiloh, but just talking for right now, the way I see it is like this. Giving, it's the end of the year, right? It's a time when, uh, you know, when, you, when, when, you, when somebody does something nice for you, it's nice to reciprocate with a present. You want them to continue acting a certain way, you reciprocate with a present. It's the end of the year, it's a time you give a bonus, etc., etc. In certain cases, there may also be Ava, there may also create, um, uh, what's the word? Um, um, 
more than disharmony. Uh, it can cause sorry, animosity. That's the word I was looking for. It can cause animosity in certain situations if everyone's in a certain firm or company, if everyone's doing things right. So there's all those type of considerations. And again, giving a gift at the end of the year as a bonus, as a sign of appreciation, whatever, is not a non-Jewish practice. That's not against the Jewish value. And therefore, what I have done in previous years, and what I recommend is that it's perfectly reasonable and appropriate to give the non-Jews who you interact with um, gifts at this time of the year. But I would recommend three things. First of all, if you write a card or anything with it, it shouldn't say Happy Holidays or anything like that. You could say Happy New Year, but not uh, anything that recognizes December 25th as being a holiday. Number two, um, that I've always tried to not to, to give it sort of either a little bit early or a little bit not like right in the season because again you want to sort of be things so definitely not on the day or the day before you know I'll give it a week before or you know something like that because you work for a Jewish company yeah. you work for, right and additionally for example I, I gave, last year what I did was I had a number of people I had to give so I found in Target a nice box of, of, of chocolates for a decent price not kosher chocolates but you know um, and I gave them to a number of people and afterwards I felt that the, these were boxes of chocolate that were decorated in red and green and whatever and I felt that maybe for next time I'll look for something which is less ex- which externally yes, is less yeah exactly they have no they were not kosher oh so I was saying you can get the Hatzmach shaped cookies and candies with the yeah. you want oh really yeah sure there was actually I heard a, I go to a candy company that makes this time of year and they make Shapes of the holiday. Yeah. But they're selling to Goyim also. Yeah. Yeah, it's not made for Jews. They make it kosher because they want Jews to also buy it. But it, no. What? No. That's not why they do it. It's kosher because the line is kosher. Anyway. Right, exactly. Right. So they're trying to make their product. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's for Goyim, but they make it kosher. Not It's kosher all year round. Kosher because anyway. they're all, yes. Right. They don't make them kosher so the Jews buy them. There was actually, there's actually a guy called David Lichtenstein. He wrote a book called, two books actually, called Headlines, and he does, I think we might have one of them in the library. He has, um, a very, he has like a radio show where he, has, where he discusses with rabbis current things. So he just recently, I didn't listen to the whole thing yet, but he recently had a thing because the OU started giving a hechsher to um, foie, foie gras. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah, it's a duck. Yeah, it's, 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 no, it's, it's a goose. It's a goose liver with a goose's force fat. So it's basically chopped liver from a tortured goose. So, so, so it, that's what it is. All right. So David Lichtenstein is very interesting. You know, he has all sorts of controversial topics. David Lichtenstein was sort of he's very respectful. He's whoever he talks to is very respectful to them. But he was arguing that uh, we shouldn't be giving a hechsher to such a food. Um, because, because even though technically it doesn't violate the laws of kosher, but if it violate, if the process violates the, the, either the laws or the spirit of the law of animal cruelty, we shouldn't. Okay, and the person, the representative from the OU, said that Lamais that the, the, he said that actually, uh, to his respect, he said that he personally would never eat it, um, but. Says so many people are eating it, and there is precedence. And Botidin in other countries in Europe, etc., do give a hechsha to this um, delicacy. Of Amela, he felt that the OU could or should do so as well. Anyway, that brings it to an end.